Hey, Interwed family, this is Pastor Rudy Rodriguez, Calvary City on the Hill in Provo, Utah. Just wanted to thank you all for listening and or watching via the World Wide Web and joining us in worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ or just seeking more information about God. If God puts it on your hearts, would you be willing to join us in partnering through giving to the ministry to bring the gospel to all the world by visiting our website? cityonahillut.org that's cityonahillut all one word dot org and clicking on the donate button any free will offering would be appreciated very much thank you so much god bless you okay we should be there there you are i can hear it coming through the thing that's good so we're going to be uh, back in isaiah isaiah 13 good stuff Timely stuff. Um, so, where do you even begin? I'm going to try not to get uh, off track. I'm going to try to stay focused on the text. Um, but how timely is it? Um, we spent uh, a few weeks discovering the, uh, you know, that Jesus is the light of the world and his government and all the things during the Christmas season and, and how he is immutable. God is immutable. You don't know what that means. It means he doesn't change. He continually always is the same God. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, we spent time just digging in and really, because I think that needs to be our focus as we're, we go through the year and uh, as uh, things begin to unfold, we see some things, some signs. Um, and, and I'm just going to come out and say it. I, say, I said it Wednesday night. Um, I believe that America is, uh, as a whole is being plunged into judgment. Just wholesale. And there's no way around it. And we're just going to have to get used to that idea. Um, so it's just one of those things where, as John Calvin said, when God desires to uh, judge a nation, he gives them um, wicked rulers. And that's what we have. Um, we have a, uh, unfortunately, we have a, uh, a system right now where our legitimate president has been silenced by all the powers that be. Um, and there's people that are happy about it, that are in the government, that are now going to be in power after January 20th. And we just have to get used to that idea. Um, Unless something God does something totally different and new that we can't imagine. Um, just what we're going to have to get used to as Christians. And I'm not saying that to make you worried, to make you stressed. It does can cause those things, as, as Chris was saying, but it doesn't necessarily have to. Um, Jesus said those words um, in John. He said, look, they, they hated. You remember that before they hated you, they hated me. And that's the truth. That's uh, what he has, uh, has, has spoken. And that's what he is. He's, he's already let us know, look, you're going to be hated. We're going to be hated in the world because we belong to Christ. We're his. And so that's one of the things. And, and here in Isaiah, we're in a particular place where, where God has called forth, I mean, prior chapters, he's called forth judgment on Israel. He's called out their rebellion. He's called out their idolatry. He's called out their adulteries. 
He's called out their hard-heartedness. And he says, look, you're my people. And I'm going to have to judge. And I'm going to bring judgment. And as uh, Marnay was saying and, and uh, others were saying, I love the fact that, that and we'll get into that into, into one of the texts, but, you know, as Christians, we have to understand that when, when God is judging the nation, the godless, He's not necessarily judging His people in the same way. He does hold us accountable. And we do, I think, this year as it unfolds, I think we do need to more and more pursue that holiness and righteousness that is Christ. And, and I think that's one of the things that, that will continue to unfold. But, um, and I do believe that we, we're, there's good reason for, for God to judge this nation. But even in the time of Isaiah, God, when He called out judgment, um, there was always that, uh, like I said this, this, uh, this morning, praising God for His, His new mercies with every morning. And one of the things that God does in His announcement and pronouncement of judgment to His people is that He will hold those who are His instruments of judgment. He'll hold them accountable. We may not see the outfolding of that with our own eyes in this time. It may be a long time before that happens. But God reassures His people, look, even those instruments that I use for judgment, as we're going to read, um, he says, even those that, that I use for judgment on the nation, in their wickedness, in their idolatry, in their lawlessness, in their sinfulness, and all the things that they will unfold and unfurl, um, he says, I will hold them accountable. And this is what this text is all about. It's about God reassuring the people that those instruments that he's going to bring in, he's going to hold them accountable. And he's going to judge them as well. They're not just going to roll over on, on, on God's people and God's just going to stand still and do nothing. He's going to hold them accountable. And I want you to, to think about that as we, as, as we go on throughout the year and everything because uh, um, it's going to seem at times that things are unfair and things are just kind of crazy and and. Like uh, the many times I've spent in prayer, how long, oh Lord, how long, how long? When I when I uh, think about the uh, stories that I read about the persecuted church, we don't know what real persecution is yet. We might begin to know that real soon. Um, but Jesus has prepared us for that. The apostles have told us that. And all things rejoice. In your tribulations, rejoice. And so I want us to focus on that as we as we go through this portion of of Isaiah. Paul or excuse me, God reassures his people of his justice and that he is just and that they won't get away with everything. And the scary part is in in, in Romans Paul tells us that they're storing for themselves up wrath. Wrath upon wrath in all the wickedness that they will do and perform and, and desire to perform. They run quickly, as Proverbs says, the, the wicked run swiftly to evil, to do wickedness, to perform their evil deeds. Uh, they, they think about how to be corrupt. They think about what, um, what perversion that they can come up with next. 
in their own beds. They, they dream up ways of being unjust and evil and wicked. That's the, the godless. It's not so for His people. For those who are truly His. And I love the fact that God continuously reminds us that He always has a remnant. He always has a people set aside for Himself. No matter what. No matter how it seems and no matter what it seems. No matter how, things, how dire things may get. He always has a remnant. He always has a people. People who just love God because He's made us to love Him. And uh, so with that being said, um, God will hold them accountable. We have to understand that. And um, so, <clears throat> um, so it's going to be okay because our focus has not changed. Uh, on Facebook recently, there was uh, uh, Terry Long from Calvary Chapel there in Salt Lake. He uh, started, he and uh, Dave, David Elijah, I think is his name, um, pastor of New Hope, uh, Calvary uh, in Lehigh, I think. Um, they started a group of, of, uh, uh, of pastors to just get together on, on there, on that platform, and be able to share prayers, share thoughts, share things, and encourage one another. One of the things that, uh, I'm guessing it was probably a younger pastor that asked the question, how do we operate with all the stuff that's unfolding before our eyes? How do we, how do we, how do we, um, move forward and how do we do this so that people aren't disturbed? And my answer was real simple. I said, well, if you're focused on Jesus, it's not going to change anything. We're not, we're not uh, affected by our circumstances if our focus is His kingdom. And we won't budge from that. And so we here at Calvary, we're not going to budge from that. We're not going to focus on the external things. There will be messages. There will be things included in some of those, uh, uh, some of the messages. But for the most part, this is this is the way that the church has to act, as if nothing else is going on, because really God is in control. Do we believe that? Yeah. Can I get an amen? Okay. <clears throat> we really do believe that. We know that. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes there's those moments of doubt. Sometimes there's those those even times when you might get distraught or angry or whatever. But there are those times. But we understand that God is in control. Christ is still king. And no matter what, He's going to do what He has already determined to perform. He will use evil people. He will use evil means. Um, I think uh, on January 23rd, in some of my perusing through all the different information that's out there, the official quote-unquote start of the reset. You've not heard it, do your homework. That's supposed to start the official reset of the entire world economy by just a handful of people. That's when it's um, scheduled to start. It doesn't change who we are and what we are. We may have to change some things. People are being kicked out of uh, places where you can go and do your online payment. They may kick us off. Churches that hold to biblical truth and biblical um, uh, have the biblical worldview and aren't afraid to, to promote that. 
there may be those things we have to struggle with. But like certain uh, um, social groups um, that have been started by Christians, they just said, the heck with the world and the world system. We're going to build our own. And that's what they're doing. So there's hope. There's always hope. And it may be a, an opportunity God open up a door for his kingdom to flourish in a way that we didn't even think or imagine in the midst of all of this. And we're going to have opposition, but that's just the way that it is. God here in his word in Isaiah 13 talks about the oracle against Babylon. Babylon is the tool that he's going to use, remember, um, to crush Judah, to crush Israel, to crush his people. To take them captives and do all those things. But they're going to, um, you know, like uh, the Bible tells us that God has, has put the sand on the edges of the sea. And he said, this far, no further. Same thing. He set a boundary for those instruments of judgment. And when they go beyond the bounds that God has put in, he holds them accountable. He holds them accountable for the attitudes in their heart as well. And we're going to see that. <clears throat> so with that being said, let's, let's read what it says here. I'm going to read, try to read through verse 16. I'll not make any comments if I can help it. And, I, and I'm weak-willed. I'm weak-willed. But this is what it reads. So in honor of God's word, let's focus our minds. The oracle concerning Babylon, which um, Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw. Lift up a standard on the bare hill. Raise your voice to them. Wave the hand that they may enter the doors of the nobles. I have commanded my consecrated ones. I have even called my mighty warriors, my proudly exulting ones, to execute my anger. See, God uses everything. God's economy is amazing. He wastes absolutely nothing. And He leaves Absolutely nothing to chance. It's not based on chance. Nothing. Okay? He says, a, uh, um, the, the proudly exulting ones to execute my anger. A sound, a tumult on the mountains, like that of many people. A sound of the uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts, and remember that word host there in the Hebrew, it it has the connotation of a military host. It's a military term. The Lord of Armies. And uh, we'll dig more into that in a little bit. It says, the Lord of Hosts is mustering the army for battle. This is what he does. I can't help right here to think about Psalm 2. And, and I'll commend that to you. If you're not familiar with Psalm 2, you ought to be. As a Christian, every single one of us should be familiar with Psalm 2. If you don't, if you're not, don't be ashamed. Get familiar with it. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's very reassuring and it, uh, it builds you up. Okay, It's to encourage you. He says in verse 5, They're coming from a far country, from the farthest horizons. Yahweh and His instruments of indignation. Notice the language. Pretty, pretty fierce language. Right? Yahweh and the, the Lord are, and His instruments of indignation to destroy the whole land. Wail. 
Wail for the day of Yahweh is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp. and Every man's heart will melt. And they will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment. Their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord or the day of Yahweh is coming. Cruel with fury and burning anger. To make the land a desolation. And he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus, I will punish the world for its evil. You see, there's hope in this proclamation. There's hope. God will not be mocked. He will hold accountable those who act wickedly and uh, with reprobate minds. He says, uh, I, will, I, will, uh, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. It's his promise. And if he says it, he'll make it come to pass. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind... Uh, than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I shall make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place, and the fury of the Lord of hosts, or Yahweh of armies, in the day of his burning anger. And it will be that like a hundred, or excuse me, a hunted gazelle, or like sheep with none to gather them, they will each turn to his own people, and each one flee to his own land. Anyone who is found will be thrust through. And anyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their little ones also will be dashed to pieces. Before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered. And their wives ravished. This is real fierce language. This is very blunt language. It's very clear and precise. This is what's going to unfold. This is what he's going to unfurl. And he's going to do this on Babylon. He's going to bring in the Medes, as we're going to see. And this is what God is, is saying. Even though I will use an instrument of judgment against you, that instrument will be held accountable. And as you can see, he uses some pretty severe language in order to pour out his judgment, keep his word and what he says. And I believe that it is God's love and God's love for his people to encourage us that he does these things, that he says these things. He assures us they're not going to get away with everything. They may, and you may think, that they are going, are getting away with it. And in the here and the now, it may seem like we have to keep faith. We have to play the man. 
there's a story, and I can't remember the two names of the of the martyrs. They were Christians. And they were being brought and they were going to be burnt alive as part of their martyrdom. And as they're sitting there and they're lighting the pyre and they're 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 standing there, and the flames are beginning to lick around their feet and start to climb up their body. One of the men turns to his brother in Christ. Says, play the man. Play the man. He says, don't cry out. Take this like a man. Take this. Play the man. And that's what we're to do. We're to play the man. And if you're a woman, don't play the man. Play the woman. Right? They're strong women. They're strong, strong women of the faith. But we're to be who we are. We're not to cower in fear. We're not to um, go around as as though we're lesser. This is not our home. We don't belong here. We belong in a different place. But we're not second-class citizens, although we will be treated as such. We always have been. Christians have always been treated differently. Um, We're the scourge of the world. As Paul says it in another place, we're the scum of the earth. Hello, scum. Good to meet you. Good to meet my fellow scum. We're the scum of the earth. This is biblical language. This is what we're called. And this is through the eyes of the world. We're lesser than, but we're not. We're, We're children of the king. We're the children of Almighty God. And that's what I want us to focus on as we go through this. Let's pray and then we'll get into more of the text here. Uh, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. Oh Lord, how I love your merciful, loving kindness. Your everlasting, merciful, loving kindness. I thank you, Lord, that you don't treat us as our sins deserve or no one would be left on the earth. And you would be right. And it would be just if you destroyed everything. As Jonathan Edwards says, it is only by God's grace that His hand upholds the boards beneath your feet and that you're not swallowed up in the flames of hell. It is only God's grace. And so we thank You, Lord, for Your goodness and Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You that You're the one who has upheld us. We thank You for the forgiveness that You offered at the cross that is powerful to forgive that is powerful to remove our sin, that is powerful to to make us know that we are yours, your Holy Spirit that indwells us. So thankful for so many things. Thank you for the promises that those who um, in their ungodly desires and passions would, that you're going to use to judge this nation, this um, this uh, peoples of this country. Father, that you know, you've told us, as your word says here, you will hold them accountable. And I thank you <clears throat> that all the things they think that they will get away with because there's not an immediate recompense. There is a recompense. And it is eternal. And I thank you that we'll be there rejoicing at your justice that is poured out rightly. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. And thank you for your word. 
which reassures us that our God is just and that our God is holy and that our God is good and that He is long-suffering and patient and kind and merciful. Thank you, Lord, for all these things and more. In your holy name, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, I believe that we're being dumped into uh, headlong the judgment. And should we? Why shouldn't we be judged? 1963, the Bibles were essentially banned and prayer was essentially banned from public schools. It was discouraged, if you will. By the way, it's not illegal to do that. You can still bring your Bible and you can still pray. Most people don't know that. But we've been so conditioned to believe this nonsense. We don't know that. It's not illegal. You might have to fight a little bit if you, you know, kids or grandkids want to do that. Then in 1973, Roe versus Wade. 60 million babies murdered in this country that we know of. It doesn't include those ones that weren't counted. Um, and it's called legal and a right. The U.S. is the number one producer, the number one consumer, the number one um, distributor of pornography in the world. The United States and the school systems have perverted our children and confused them. Should we not be judged? I'm asking that honestly. Should not a nation that does those things, that has redefined what marriage is, should a nation not be judged? We should. We deserve it. And I believe we're being plunged headlong into it. But, as Erwin Lutzer said, as Miss Marnay reported this morning, it's not that God is judging His people. He'll hold us accountable for those certain things. But we'll deal with those things in a minute. But <clears throat> we've perverted the minds of children. We've taught them ungodly, quote-unquote, scientific ideas. That everything in the creation came into being by some chance, some whim, something from some place. Nobody knows. Instead of teaching them that they are the image bearers of God. Our elected officials are corrupt. This last bill that was passed is just one small example. 5,600 pages. And they're given like a couple of hours to vote on it. That's corrupt. That's corrupt. It takes weeks to go through all that paperwork and figure out what's really there. And they're pushing these kinds of things always again and again and again. They're spending money that we don't have. And this is why I believe that we're being plunged into judgment. And we just have to ready ourselves. We have to gird ourselves up. The Word of God will get us through this. That is our hope. Because in it, when we go to God's Word, not just to seek salt, not just to seek hope. Not just to seek truth. 
Not just to seek love. All those things are great. But when we learn and we discipline our minds and our hearts and our eyes and our ears to desire to go into God's Word to find Jesus. To look for Him. To find Him there. To ask Him to reveal Himself to us there. We'll find the strength that we really need. And we'll be as bold as lions. We won't fear anything. Because we'll know that He is with us. And that His power is working within us. And that His strength is there to strengthen us. And that His love is there to encourage us. And to remind us we don't deserve His love. But praise God that we have it. And that He loved us first. And that teaches us to love. To love one another. To love our family. To love our spouses as we ought. And all these things. And that God, should not the God of all the earth, the judge of all the earth, should He not judge such a nation? You have to ask yourself that. You have to step back and think about those things. But remember that He's not judging His church. Although we have some admonitions in, Re in Revelation and things like that, those churches of, uh, of uh, the Asiatic churches of, of ancient times. So let's go through this and let's see these, uh, the, the, the text. And let's focus on that. Um, it's just one of those things we have to get used to. And just like the people of Israel at that time, at the time of, of Isaiah, they had to get used to the idea that there's judgment coming. There's no way around it. Remember, swift is the booty. Speedy is the prey. Mahar shalav hashbaz. Remember? Yeah. It's coming. It's coming fast. Coming swiftly. Um, the oracle of, uh, of concerning Babylon. And this is what, what God would have us focus on. This is the very tool that he's going to use, the instrument of judgment, that iron fist, if you will. He says, this is concerning them. And he's saying this to his people to encourage them. Yes, they're going to come. Yes, it's going to be swift. Yes, the prey is going to be speedy. But nonetheless, this is what's going to take place, which uh, Isaiah, the son of Amaz, saw. And the oracle, um, the oracle there that's, that's being spoken of that is a, uh, uh, the Greek word, masaw. Masaw. And it simply means the, uh, the load or the bearing, the tribute, the burden. It's a load that is going to be spoken against the people. And that's what it is. It's a burden that they're going to have to bear. This is the word with weight. In other words, it carries weight behind it. It's not just spoken in passing. He says, and this is what is going to be concerning Babylon, uh, which Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw. He says, lift up a standard on the bare hill. It's a signal. He says, on the bare hill, throw up a signal so that everyone can see. At the gates of the nobles, it is, it is implied that the city is proud. In that proud city, on that high hill, there you're to throw up and put up a standard. And a standard is, is what the, uh, essentially it's the flag that you would carry. You remember, how many of you remember the, the, uh, 
um, the picture from Iwo Jima. That famous picture of that raising of the American flag. And you have all the Marines around there. And there's stories about how that was staged and so on and so forth. But it's a famous picture. That's the standard. And when you see your standard, it encourages you in the battle. I remember the movie, in the movie Patriot. I don't know how many of you saw that with Mel Gibson. And, and uh, his, some of his children have been killed by the British. And they're in this confrontation, this final war. It was a turn of the, of the Revolutionary War. And he was so focused on revenge that he was just focused on the one guy. And at one point he noticed all the men were retreating. They would have been defeated. And he had a choice. At that one moment, he had a choice. I can either focus on the revenge that I want so desperately. This man who killed my children, I want to kill him. And I can either stay focused on that, or I can grab that standard. And I can grasp hold of it. And I can lead this army back to stop the retreat and to go forward. And at that moment, he let go of his revenge. He let go of that for just a moment. For a timely, for such a time as that. And he grabs that flag. And the, the flag is turning now in a different direction. It's no longer in retreat. Now they see it flying. And they see it flying towards the enemy. And the men are looking. And they're going, whoa, whoa. Our flag is going this way again. And all of a sudden, this courage. All of a sudden, this strength. All of a sudden, this ability to put aside all the fear and all the stuff that was happening. And all of a sudden, the tide turned. And they went and they crushed the enemy. Because one man picked up a standard so that all could see and he marched forward. And that's what we're to do as the church. We're to pick up that standard and continue to march forward. That's what we're to do. Lift up the standard on the bare hill. Raise your voice to them. Be bold in the proclamation of the gospel. Raise your voice even to our enemies. Yes, pray for our enemies. Pray Psalm 109. Read 109. And learn it. And learn that mindset. It's okay to do that. Um, he says, wave the hand that they may enter the doors of the noble. And again, that's implied that the city is proud. He says, I have commanded my consecrated ones. Now, this uh, consecration, the mighty men, these are the armies used by God as instruments of judgment. God consecrates them for what He's called them to do. The purpose. Just like we read and we're going to read in Isaiah when we come to the place where, where God is prophesying and telling Isaiah what to say and, and what he's doing. He calls out a king long before a king and he calls him out by name, Cyrus. He proclaims it. He, he uses these very people that don't know him. 
that aren't seeking Him, that don't care about Him. Sometimes He uses the reprobate who hates God and doesn't want anything to do with God. And it's, it's like uh, men who are godly men have said of old, even the devil is God's devil. Even the devil is God's devil. He doesn't belong to himself. He doesn't have a right to do whatever he wants. He can only do what God allows, what God decrees. And so he says, I have commanded my consecrated ones. I have even called my mighty warriors. Now notice the personal um, mastery of, of what he's saying. They're mine. They're my consecrated ones. They're my warriors. This is, this is him saying, I have ownership. I am Lord. They're mine. <laughs> they're, not, they're not his people per se. But he said, these are my warriors. These are my uh, people who will go and do. They're the consecrated ones that I have called their mine. My proudly exalting ones. To execute my anger. He's going to use it. Like I said, was saying earlier, God's economy is such that He wastes absolutely nothing. And I want you to really firm this up in your mind. He doesn't leave anything to chance, ever. Nothing. Nothing is ever left, left to chance when it comes to the things of God. It's always going to turn out the way that He has called it. And it's never going to be left to chance. Sometimes it seems like it. Sometimes it really, really pains us because we're like, what the is going on? What in the world is happening, God? And we can get frustrated and lost in it. This is mind-boggling. I don't understand. And once we get through all that frustration and pouring all that uncertainty and all that anxiety and all that stuff, and then God calms His tide. It's been said that God will either Calm the storm for his child, for his children, or he will calm his children in the storm. That's the way that he works. He'll either calm the storm, and when he doesn't, he'll bring you to that place of calm. Why? Because he gives you peace, not like the world gives. He gives you a peace that surpasses all understanding. Right? But he says, I have commanded my consecrated ones. I have even called my mighty warriors, my proudly exalting ones to execute my anger. Is God mad? Yes. Does God get angry? Yes. Did he only get angry in the Old Testament? No. I've often believed and uh, have come to understand as a Christian, I believe, and this is my own opinion and my forming of my own weird thoughts, I believe that God has every right to be even more angry considering that He's provided what He did so that we could be forgiven. And the majority of people in the world reject it. They reject that offer. They reject that salvation. They reject that redemption. They reject that forgiveness. They reject the work of Christ on the cross. And they continue on in their own life doing what they want. God has every right to be even more angry, in my opinion, than he was at this time with these people. And we see, he flat out says, I'm going to execute my anger. I'm angry. 
God is angry with sin. He always has been. He always will be. He'll never be happy with sin. And praise God for that. We should be happy with that. Because even as believers, we can fall into sin. And when we fall into sin as believers, we go further than we imagine. We stay longer than we ever planned to. We do more damage to those around us and ourselves than we could have ever imagined. That's the way that sin works. And God will allow us to fall. And He'll discipline us. And it hurts. It hurts. Verse 4, He says, uh, by the way, the, uh, the word uh, to consecrate is the word kadash. Kadash. It's the Hebrew word kadash. And it simply means to, to consecrate or to sanctify, to prepare to dedicate, to, to be hallowed, to be holy, to be sanctified, to be separate. He's separating a whole army. And this is, this is what he's going to do. And one of the things that we need to, to remember is these are just warriors who are men, horizontal warriors. They're earthly. In Isaiah, and also in in uh, uh, in another uh, place, God uses a one angel in one night in His anger and to help His people. And that angel kills in one night 185,000 warriors. It's in the book of Isaiah, chapter 37. I didn't even know it was there. I just thought it was like in First and Second Kings or... Uh, first and Second Chronicles. I thought that's where the story was. I didn't remember that it was in in Isaiah, but that's where the story is, and that's what that's what God does, and that's what He can do. He's not doing that here because imagine if He can wipe out one hundred and eighty-five thousand in one night, and He does it silently, because it says when when the men that were left woke up. Surprise! Good morning! 185,000 of their fellow warriors were dead. And what did the king do? He went home whimpering. He went home to a different place and stayed there for the rest of his life. This is the power of God when he executes his anger. Here, it's almost like he's holding back. Here it's like he's, he's just lightly doing what he does. In verse 4, you know, God, uh, uh, the, the uh, excuse me, it says, the sound of the tumult on the mountain, like that of many people, a sound of the uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts, or Yahweh of armies, is mustering the army for battle. And thank God that he's not. Sending angels to do that. You know, there's a terrifying, uh, uh, there's terrifying scripture and description of when Jesus does come back. It's terrifying for his enemies. Because he's not going to use his angels. They're going to be with him. They're going to watch the captain of the Lord of hosts do what he do. And he singularly is going to wipe out his enemies. And it's crazy. It's terrifying and horrific. 
the, the picture that is painted. And I don't think that it's hyperbola. I think that it's very literal. And he's just going to wipe them out with the sword of his tongue. He's just going to speak it. He doesn't need an army of angels. But he will rule with a rod of iron when he returns. He'll deal with his enemies as, as it says here that he will deal with the sinners of the land. They're not going to get away with it. Um, the sound of the of the tumult. One of the things that that armies do, um, you've probably seen it movie after movie. There's always when they're ready to attack, especially those depictions of uh, old school warriors where they just had shields and swords and spears and the like and bows and arrows. And one of the things that they would do was the men would would either chant or they would scream or they would in one voice, and that was to intimidate and cause the other their enemy to, to faint when they hear the sound of this. And there is something about a group of men when they raise their voices in, in, a, in a, a warrior's type uh, ascent and attack. There's something frightening about it. There's something that grabs your attention when a bunch of men together raise their voices for that. Um, when we collectively, you guys have heard my dad voice, but not at the at the peak of it. Pretty close. But imagine that with thousands upon thousands of men using their man voice, their their dad voice, to intimidate and to keep things real. That's the sound, sound of the uproar of kingdoms. Of nations gathered together, the Lord of hosts is mustering the army. He's reminding them. They're going to hear this, and they're going to be the armies. Um, the kingdoms of the nation. The Lord is the commander of human kingdoms. Remember what it said in Isaiah chapter 9. And the increase to the increase of his government, there will be no end. Once it has begun to be established, it's just going to grow and grow. And grow. And there will be no end to it. It's what it says. There's not going to be an end to his government. And part of the part of what God does is the Lord is the commander of human kingdoms as well. Babylon thought of herself as the glory of kingdoms. Of the mistress of kingdoms. And in one place I believe Babylon says of herself, I am no widow. I am no widow. Um, but God is going to deal with this, this people. Um, or the, she's also known as the mistress of kingdoms. Those that uh, adulterate with her. And she ruled over others with great force. This is the picture of this, this uh, kingdom that God is going to deal with. Verse 5. They're coming from a far country. From the farthest horizons. The Lord and His instruments of indignation to destroy the whole land. Pretty heavy picture. The indignation of God. He's going to use people to destroy the land. The distant lands. Yahweh's kingdom is universal. His weapons of, of, of indignation are those things that He uses in order to pour out His judgment. 
God uses people in order, and you know, uh, uh, we as, as as believers in the doctrines of grace, um, we are often asked, well, well, if you believe that God predestines everything, then why do you preach the gospel? The answer is real simple, because God told us to. Because he said, this is how you do it. You preach the gospel, and people come to faith. That's how he does it. And he uses us to do that. And it's the same way here. He's going to use, um, even like I said, ungodly, idolatrous, adulterous people. How do we know? Well, look at Abraham. Abraham was an idolater before God encountered him. From the Ur of the Chaldees. He worshipped false gods and idols. He was an idol worshiper. Because everyone was. That's, what, that's just what man did. He will use everything and everything and anything in his economy. Because it's all his. My army. My anger. My instrument. It's all mine. It all belongs to me anyways. I do with it as I please. Um, they're coming from a far country. It's, it's universal. God's um, ownership is universal. He owns everything. Every single thing. Um, they're coming from the farthest horizons. The Lord and His instruments of indignation to destroy the whole land. He's going to destroy. Remember, this is focused on Babylon. Focused on Babylon. Everything that they had built is going to be all destroyed. Verse 6, wail. W-A-I-L. Cry out for the day of the Lord. And remember, it in here in Isaiah, almost uh, entirely throughout the rest of it, the day of the Lord is a fearful, awful thing. Especially for the unbeliever. It's when God, the day of, of the Lord, is the day when it finally arrives that God pours out His wrath. When He pours out, all of a sudden, all at once, boom. And there's no turning back from it. There's no turning it away until it runs its course. The day of the Lord is a terrifying thing. That's why he says, wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as a destruction from the Almighty. And that's the important thing to understand. It's God's judgment. It's God's judgment. It's Him who's in control of it. It's Him who's driving. It's Him who makes it perform the purposes that He has instituted and decreed. That is what is, is going on here. And I believe um, this is poignant and it's very timely. Because I believe that's what's going to happen here in this country if things don't change. And then it says in verse 7, Therefore, all hands will fall limp. To lose courage. I don't believe that that's true for the church. Because we know in whom we have believed. Amen? We know in whom we have believed. We've believed in the one who went to the cross. We believe in the one who died for our sin. We believe in the one who came from all eternity. The second person of the Trinity. God the Son, 
who became and took on flesh like yours and mine. And as Peter said, when Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Messiah, son of the living God. Come. And as it says in Matthew, take away the sin people. To save them from their sin. That's what he's done. That's whom we have believed in. And that's why I don't believe this is talking about God's people. It's talking about the Babylonians, those who were idolaters, those who were uh, uh, worshipped demonic gods. He says their hands are going to fall limp. Every man's heart will melt. That's pretty parabolic speech. Hearts don't melt. We can lose hearts. Right? We're not to lose heart because we know in whom we have believed. Um, I was hoping to get further, but uh, <clears throat> there's a lot left to cover here. So I'll finish with this, and they will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them, and they will writhe like a woman in labor. When that time comes, there's nothing anybody can do about it. Right? You women know that. And it's always our fault. It's your fault. Right? Yeah. You did this to me. Um, but when it comes, there's no turning it around. When that baby and it's time, it's time. And you writhe in pain. Sometimes it's horrific pain. I've heard of 36-hour labors. No, thank you. You can have that. I'm, I'm glad I'm a man. I don't want that. Thank you very much. Um, but that's what's going to happen. They'll be, they'll be terrified and they'll have these pains and anguish. It will take hold of them like the writhing of the woman in labor. This is what's going to happen when this unfolds. And the Medes that he's going to send to, the, to Babylon and to, to reassure. And I love the language that he's using because it reassures God's people. Not only is he going to hold them accountable, he's going to pour out his wrath. He's telling them they're not going to get away with what they think they're going to get away with. Right? And that is something that we should grasp onto. That truth. They may think they're going to get away with it. They may treat us horribly. They may do things and they may cause us to, to lose all our stuff. Just like the early church. But when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter. Because we have what they could only hope for. We have forgiveness in Christ Jesus. We have our sins removed. He did come and He did save His people from their sins. Praise God. He's removed them far from us so that we don't have to fear God in His wrath. But we're on the other side of that. And I know it's hard to believe when I say this. But we're going to rejoice in His justice. We're going to rejoice in His judgment. And when He rightfully pours it out, person after person, nation after nation, people after people, tribe after tribe, tongue after tongue, we're going to rejoice. And I know that's hard to believe. I know it's hard to grasp. Because it sounds so antithetical. 
I thought we were supposed to be nice. No. It's not about being nice. But it's about loving God. It's about loving Christ. And all of His attributes. Including His justice. And that's why we'll rejoice. Because we'll see the holiness of it. We'll see the rightness of it. We'll see the justice of it. And we'll rejoice. Because it's right. Because it's good. And because He is good, all that He does is good. I want us to remember that even though judgment does come, even if it does come, that we're to remember these things as believers. In Romans 1-4, through 4, Romans 8, 1-4, through 4, says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Do you know Him? That's the first thing. There may be judgment that is coming, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The judgment isn't against you. We're free to have that relationship with you. We're free. We've been freed so that we can have communion with God. So that we can know Him intimately. So that He can know us. So that we can be open with Him. And all our foibles. And we, don't, we needn't fear Him in that way. There is no... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that's the question. Yes, hallelujah. That's the question. Do you know Him? Are you in Christ Jesus? That's the question. If you're not, this does not apply to you. That is a scary thing. I'm thankful that God brought into my mind and helped me to understand that when it comes to salvation, it's His salvation. And I learned a long time ago that salvation is not in my hands. It never has been. It's always been in His. And I'm going to keep it there. Thank you very much. I entrust it to Him because He is the one who can hold it. And He's not going to let me die. He's not going to let me fall away. Because it's Him that I'm trusting. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know Him? For the law of the Spirit of life is in Christ Jesus. And He has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's what we have. We're free from the law of sin and death. You get that? You don't have to sin anymore. You're going to. Every day I wake up. And when I hit my knees in prayer, one of the first things I have to ask God is God forgive me of my sin. Say that to my shame. Even those things that I don't even know. But because He is so holy, I know that just the fact that I woke up and my feet hit the floor, I know that I'm sinful, but He is not. And so I have to ask Him forgive me of my sin. Even those ones that I'm not aware of. Just help me. And I know that He hears. And I know that they're forgiven. And that He cleanses. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Hallelujah. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's a mystery that I don't understand or comprehend. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And that's my prayer lately. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a body to learn what it means to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the power of your Spirit. To walk in the holiness of your Spirit. To walk in the new life of your Spirit. To experience that. I don't want to just talk about it. I don't want to just teach about it. I don't want to just preach about it. I'm asking God, help us to do that. So that your kingdom can thrive in us and through us. And so that your kingdom can be expanded through us. Help us to do that. Without you, we can't do that. And so that's what I'm praying. Because there is now no condemnation. And we can ask for those things. The judgment that comes on the nation doesn't necessarily be poured out on his church or on his people, but it truly is. But like I've said many times on Wednesday nights and sometimes from this pulpit, I do believe that God is winnowing the chaff. I believe that he's winnowing the chaff of this church. And he is, it's his church. It's not your church and it's not my church. It's His church. And we're part of it. And He's made us part of it. And He's invited us to come. And He invites us to, to build each other up, to encourage one another, and to love one another. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what I want us to focus on, even as judgment pours out. There's no condemnation. We don't have to worry about it. Like he says, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. Hallelujah. Sin is dead, y'all. Christ paid for it. And that needs to be our focus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. Thank You for Your mercies and Your kindnesses. Thank You for doing what the flesh could never do. Thank you. Paying that price on that cross. Forgiving yourself as a sacrifice. And for being worthy to do it. Thank you for that debt that we could never pay, that it's nailed there to the cross with our name on it. And it's stamped in your blood, the telestai, paid in full. Father, I pray that if any that are out there listening that have never committed themselves to you, that they would. They would receive that forgiveness. They would, they would receive that debt payment. And that debt payment isn't just something that is, is just for that time. It is an inexhaustible riches that we have in Christ Jesus. For it is in His holy name. And for His kingdom's sake that we pray. And we pray that You would just work in us, Lord. To walk in the Spirit. To experience that. To experience walking in the power of Your Holy Spirit. 
and that you would just be glorified and exalted in these people, in us, for your namesake, and those that are listening online. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we bless you in Jesus' holy name. But there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For his name's sake we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>